introduce uh, this little more about Jesus. Uh, and so we kind of start with the sentence, kind of every week, my Jesus, my. Uh, and there's an F word uh, that follows on that. Uh, so today's my Jesus, my future. And I want to push out a dilemma to you in trying to answer more about how Jesus plays into our life is this question. What happens when the inevitable happened to me happens to me? Did you get that? So what happens when the inevitable happened to me will happen to me? Okay, because sometimes things happen in life that we're not quite expecting. I got an invitation this week to go on to the Marine Camp. Never been there, so I was quite excited. Uh, I've been by it lots of times. You know, I've kind of looked at all the kind of um, commandos doing all of their training, you know, as they go through, as I've been on the train. And I uh, got an invitation to go because the, um, I, I work as a chaplain uh, in, the, in the police here in Exeter. And so they were doing some resilience training. And so with all the counter-terrorist threats that hit our country uh, over the last few years, um, it, there's been a message that's come out from government all over to, to get ready, to be prepared for a terror threat. Now, this is where it comes in, because we have this view, it'll never happen to me. We kind of stick our heads in the sand, you know, and think that will now happen. But if you've liked what happened in the four years, we've seen the Paris, we've seen Nice, we've seen Brussels, uh, we've seen London Bridge, you know. And, and actually, the threat of something that we don't want to happen is happening in our country. So the police and all the, you know, the council and the fire service, you know, and the army, uh, and we're all meeting together to talk about what happens when the, it'll never happen to us happens to us. Because it, it is real. It's, it's a, a genuine threat. And it was a, a really great opportunity as a chaplain, as a minister. Um, and I'm sat there because I have a police jacket on that says, you know, Small police chaplain there, but on the back, massive police chaplain, you know, just like the, a really big thing. And I'm sat around the table. I've been in the city for 15 years, um, and I know how people receive faith and the Christian faith, you know, when I've stretched into statutory bodies. And the police have been really proactive, really forward-thinking. They've got over 30 chaplains who operate and, and serve uh, our police officers and police staff, you know, in supporting them through to develop their resi- resilience um, as, as an organization. But what was fascinating was, as I was around the table talking through and talking about what my role is and how I can help, um, the, the, one of the senior managers from the Exeter City Council was sat there. And he turned to me, he said, Aaron, we don't have chaplains. You know, it'd, be, it'd be fantastic if we did. Because what you describe you do sounds excellent. I don't know why we haven't done it. Now, I know why they haven't done it. Because every time I move into the council, they've got quite a liberal agenda. And anything to do with the Christian faith is a, whoa, 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 well, that might upset people. So, but, you know, this, this, it was really funny because as the police have got one, the council are going, we want one. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how it changed because there's something, by the way, that you carry in Jesus that brings peace to a situation. So when this threat increases, actually something increases in you, and that is the peace of God. I want to talk into your personal situation, because what happens when it will never happen to me happens to me. You know, there are times in our life we're just not expecting. I went to a meal just over a month ago with our over 50s, and we're all sat there, you know, um, with chicken soup and rolls and chitter-chattering away, and we're laughing and joking, you know, and we're just kind of celebrating life until one of us in the group keels over, stops breathing, collapses, and ends up on the floor, you know, and, and, and his heart stops. 
And it's that moment because I, I've been through various careers in my life. You know, I know you think I'm really young. That's just because of my appearance. But I'm, a, I'm an old soul behind a young face just to let you know. I've been a scientist, a police officer, and a minister. And it sounds like a bad joke, but that's my, my journey of it. And in every one of those roles, I've done um, first aid courses. I've done CPR training. I've been through, you know, getting ready for the what happens that will never happen moment in your life. And actually, it took all the way to get to my young 44 years of age to find myself in an over 50s lunch for someone to drop dead in front of me and then I'm like "Ah." you know and Pauline is there and Pat's there and they're looking at us and which one's going to do CPR you know so they made the decision you look the strongest Aaron you better do that and in we go you know the the sleeves are rolled up and, and we go into calm but assertive mode it's amazing, right, really? We don't happen, but God prepares us way in advance for something when we think it'll never happen to us, happens to us. God is God is ready. Those, all those courses, all those training, all those hours, all those book reading, all of that moment, and here's me thinking that's never going to happen, and suddenly it happens. Now, have you noticed that sometimes life happens to you? Um, there's one of these quotes uh, which made me laugh, um, which I've read from, um, there's a captain of a well-known ship, his name is E.J. Smith, and he was the captain of the Titanic, and um, he, he had this view, it would never happen to him, and he says this before the voyage, when anyone asks me how I can best describe my experience in nearly 40 years at sea, I merely say uneventful. Of course there have been winter gales and storms and fog and the like, but in all my experience I have never been in any accident. Of any sort worth speaking about. I've seen but one vessel in distress in all my years. I never saw a wreck and never have been wrecked, nor was I ever in any predicament that threatened to end in disaster of any sort. That was the captain that was in charge of the ship. He had this in life that it'll never happen. But it did. It became one of my greatest tragedies that we look over history you know, of, of such an awful thing. It, it was doomed and deemed the invincible ship, the unsinkable. And it sank. Sometimes our life, we, we feel we're okay. We feel we're doing well. We feel we're strong. And then we get the phone call. We have friends. I don't know if you've, you've ever walked a, a journey with a friend who's, who's had a diagnosis of, of a serious illness. Or it could be a family member. I don't know if you've ever sat with somebody who's had dementia and the person that you knew slowly disappears into a person that you don't know. The grief, the challenge. You see, you watch it on the news, you watch TV programs and dramas that portray all of this happening in front of you, and we have this in ourselves. It, it, it won't happen to us. What happens when the boss calls you in and says, um, just to let you know, you know, the economy's not been as kind of what we, we expected, and we're going to have to make some cutbacks, and... Uh, it might not be you, but just to let you know, it could be you that could lose their job over the next, you know, and um, a lot of us over the last few years have probably had some form of conversation. We've often possibly, you know, in our journey, looked back at our lives and, and had relationships where something's happened and people have sat down and said, I, I, I just don't love you anymore. I just need to walk out of this. And whether that's a close, intimate relationship, whether that's a, a brother-to-sister relationship, whether that's a mum-to-dad, you know, whether that's distant cousins or whether it's friends, y- you understand 
that sometimes things change in our life. We really struggle when things start to change in our life. Um, I just kind of want to say, because when we face uncertainty, just to give you a little bit about your brain, um, the, the, in our creation and our design, compared to all of the species on the planet, you won't know this, or some of you may, but we have quite a big cortex, all right? Which means our planning ability is one of the highest on the planet. You know, our ability to plan and to work through. Now, in normal life, normal job, normal circumstances, we are just planning. We are just processing. And we like that. We like to organize. We like to think. But when uncertainty comes up in our life, guess what happens to your cortex? It starts to work even faster than normal. Now, we can cope in short terms. Now, we're designed to cope and go, oh, that changes that, and that changes that, and we think. And and we go for all of these processes that change. But let me tell you what happens if that's a significant period. You get fatigued. You get exhausted. Uncertainty is one of the biggest tensions and struggles in our lives. So what I want to do is is bring you to the point of, if you've got part of uncertainty in your life right now, this message is, is for you. If you're facing, and actually you're feeling in your heart and in your mind and your spirit, the whole thing is, how is this going to work out? And you know, it affects your view of the future. It affects your long-term goals. Have you noticed when those things happen, what happens is you stop thinking about the future and you start thinking about the imminency. And you're processing the imminent all the time. And you're watching the news and you think, oh, man, and the finances are hard. You're looking, and suddenly you're processing everything in the light and you get lost And you lose your vision, your capacity to dream, your ability to step back, look at the big picture, you know. And and actually, it's it's not as bad, actually, as I think it is. And we get this minutia focus, and our cortex is going crazy. And and it's real, by the way, because I can tell you, every single one of you is going to have this moment in your life at some stage. If you're not, you're going to be like the first picture I showed you of the guy with the head in the sand going, oh, no, I'm fine. If you can keep your head while everybody is losing theirs, it's probably because you don't know what's going on. <laughs> there is a time that actually I'm not going to know what's going on. I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and that's going to go away. Let me tell you, if that is your attitude to debt, that is not going to go away. If that's your attitude to a poor, bad relationship, that is not going to go away. If that's your attitude to a diagnosis, it is not going to go away. But we can't cope because our process is in. Wouldn't it be great if God spoke into that topic? Wouldn't it be good if Jesus came into our life and said, Do you know what? I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly how to lead you through this time of uncertainty. Well, do you know what the great news of today is? You know what the great news of Jesus is? That Jesus has an answer for that situation. I don't want to throw you into the Bible to where we can find the answer to that. So if you turn to your Bible to John chapter 14. It's a really well-known piece of the Bible, and it's often you'll find if you go to a funeral, this will be read. But it's not for funerals. It's for the living, by the way. This is for those of us who are going through life and those who are going through uncertain times that Jesus wants to speak. John 14, verse 1 to 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to me. For that's where I am. There you may be also, right? Now, if you're brand new in, you're going, I have got no idea what you've just said. 
So I want to help you by giving the story and the context of that conversation. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus talking around a meal table, what we know as an event called the Last Supper. John, the gospel that you've just written to, he's the writer, he is attributed as given the longest account in the gospels of the Last Supper. So there's four chapters of chapters 13 to 17 that is dedicated to Jesus' conversation around that table, around that meal of what is just about to happen. Let me tell you why he's saying this and then I'll get to the content of what he says. Because Jesus has just gone into the city. He's been to Bethany, you know, he's had his feet anointed, Uh, you know, he knows that he, within the next few hours of his life, he's going to get arrested and tortured and crucified, and he knows that. And he sat around a table with the disciples of those who've been with him for three years. And this is what Jesus is doing, particularly in the last week of his life, he is getting ready those who followed him to deal with the uncertainty of what's about to happen. And so he sits them down, he says, we're going to have a meal. And the reason it's called the Last Supper, because it's the last meal they're going to eat together before his death. We we actually never know those moments in each other's lives, by the way. If you've ever had a sudden notice of, of somebody taking ill and somebody passing into eternity, what you do is you remember the last time you had a meal with them. You remember the last time, because you didn't know. You know, the truth is, any one of us could have that this morning. We could walk out of this room. We just don't know our days. We don't know our impacts, you know, and and it, it changes everything. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows the future. He knows his journey. He knows what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to get you ready. So if you want to read John 13 to John 17, the whole theme of that is get ready, guys. I want to get you ready. Because what you're about to face is just going to be really challenging for you. I want to pause, if I can, just a moment, because I want you to understand this. I love this about Jesus. I love this about Jesus, but every uncertain period of my life, Jesus gets me ready. That doesn't mean the period of uncertainty is pleasant. It doesn't mean that the sun is shining, because sometimes it's dark, sometimes it's challenging, and, and sometimes I don't know what is going on in my thoughts or in the situation that is. But last year was one of those years. You know what the word of the Lord was? Because a lot of people came up and shared what they felt was God saying. One thing stuck out to me the most that God spoke to me direct in my heart, you know, was this, I will bring you through this. So every day I had this word of God that before I had a cancer diagnosis, God, Jesus said to me, I will bring you through this. So when I'm sat with the consultant, you know, and he's going, oh, and it's bad news, you know, and, and he's pointing out this. I have got Jesus sat there next to me looking and saying, I will bring you through this. So when you ask, how did you do it? That's how I did it. Because I have Jesus sat next to me in a consultation room who doesn't speak into my fears. He speaks into my future. I will bring you through this. Because he is preparing. And he sits around a meal. He brings all his disciples to go, guys, get ready for this uncertain future. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's how he starts. That the, and it will never happen to me. It's just about to happen to you. Guys. You know, they're all certain away, you know, if it's men, by the way, and you've put food in front of men, all they're thinking about is food. 
Is that true, isn't it? It's a complete distraction. They're off there eating their McDonald's, and Jesus says, I need to tell you something, guys. Just put your McDonald's down for a moment. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So just as a sideline, by the way, I like studying the Bible. You know, you can discover these kind of side tangents, and I'm just going to take you on briefly. Jesus is troubled three times in his life, we mentioned in Scripture. And this is fascinating about Jesus. Number one, it's when he was betrayed. Number two, it's when he was ready to go to be hung on the cross. The anticipation of his death, in the manner of his death, he was troubled. And number three, it's the death of a friend, Lazarus. That's when the Bible says those things. Now, I just kind of, I, I love this really because what troubles Jesus? Aside from the obvious of a gruesome death, which would trouble us all, by the way, and we all get that, the two other things, what troubles them is a loss of relationship. How many of you can identify with a loss of relationship? And whether that's a loss through death or through sickness or through breakdown, can I, can I say I really struggle with loss of relationship? My biggest pains as a church leader is when people get up in church and walk out and never come back and never have a conversation. That is the biggest unresolved pain I have because I'm like, what? What? What, 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 what is gone? And that silence is deafening. That, that silence is isolating. And the questions that get in there, it's an absolute minefield. And if you've ever had that moment in your life when people have just turned their back and walked out without an explanation, I'd rather have a blowout. At least I know when you don't know. Jesus, I love this about Jesus because Jesus comes alongside me and says, I struggle with that too. Maybe you struggle, Aaron, because you love people. Maybe because you value relationship and that's what Jesus is. Do not let your hearts be troubled for what you're about to go to. They were about to witness the death of a friend. The torture, the abuse. I don't know, you know, think of your closest friend just for a moment. And, and you were still being held back by a crowd as, as, as you watched the friend that you love get spat at in the face. I don't know about you, but everything about me wants to break through the crowd. And even at loss of my own, uh, my own safety to get in the way of that. I, I, I think that's true relationship. I think this is the disciples' emotions. They sit there at the foot of the cross, powerless to do something as Jesus is taken and beaten. And you know, Easter is coming, and and part of our Easter reflection is we do get a glimpse into the reality of of the pain and the suffering of Christ. And and the reason we show you that, not because it's pleasant, is because it somehow communicates love. Because we get their cancer wanting to stand in the way to almost stop our friends getting hurt. But do you know what's happening at the cross? Is Jesus is doing the reverse for us. He, he sees all of the things that we do, that we think, that breaks our relationship with God because we understand what it is to walk away from God. We, we do it. Now, I know you're in church on the sundown. I know you've had a shower and a shave, ladies. You know, so, and you've, you've come in and you've put on your best face for everybody else. But you, you know your thoughts, don't you? You know the reality when you've got up some days and got God, I'm struggling. Well, I want us to be as a church, an authentic church, a real church. So that actually says there are moments when we have those times. 
We even when we get in those struggles, we sometimes say things and we know they're not what God is asking us to say. We react in ways that are not in, is right. We, we damage relationships around. We know we've done that. None of us is, is innocent of anything like that. But you know what? Jesus watched, watches every one of our self-destruct buttons. And, and you know what? He doesn't just say, well, just don't do it, Aaron, anymore. He dies for me on the cross. And he gives his life. And he opens up a path by which I can be forgiven. All of my faults, all of my failings were laid on the Son of God. That's why he came. That's his mission, by the way. And and Jesus, I love this about Jesus, because he sets up. Say, guys, you're about to watch me die. I don't want you to be troubled. And this is what's really key, by the way, in times of uncertainty. One, that Jesus has a plan. And number two, he's prepared for it. Preparing you. I've got a solution here. I'm going to go away for a little while. And this is about, but I'm going to come back again. We, we believe as Christians that Jesus went to the cross and he died. And on the third day, he rose again. And he went up to heaven where he is now. The Bible describes him as interceding for us. Every day, every moment of your life, Jesus is praying for you. Whatever uncertainty that you have, Jesus is praying right now. I don't know if you, when you go through uh, oscillating times, but we think we're alone. Anybody know that? It's just me here, isn't it? And people go, oh, yeah, I know, I know what you're feeling. And you, your thought is, no, you don't. We isolate ourselves too quickly, really quickly. It's just me on my own. You're not on your own because Jesus knows exactly. He's right there. He's on his knees. He's praying to the Father for that particular need. And and so it might be uncertain for you. It's not uncertain for God. And he's right in the middle of that place. And he says this, I have a plan. I prepared you for this moment. Your resilience, by the way, your ability to bounce back is stronger than you know. I've got a plan, and I'm preparing you for this journey because he was growing that growth for the, the followers of Jesus, turned them into incredible men of God who carried Jesus. And he said this, I will not leave you orphans. I will not abandon you. I will not leave you alone. And I, like, I want to tell you, you are not alone in your problem right now because Jesus says, I'm right here, I'm praying for you. And then he says this, the second coming of Christ means I am coming back. Christians believe in the visible, in the physical return of Jesus. It's a really crazy idea, by the way. You know, in the last, how can a man die, by the way? If you can believe that Jesus can be raised from the dead, you can believe that he can come back again. Just to let you know, because that's quite a big stretch in our uh, rational mind to go, somebody can die, right? And God can raise him from the dead. That's what Christians believe, and that's what Jesus did. He's alive, victorious. And then he goes up in the same way. You know the disciples, when they see the ascension, and they're all on the hill, and and Jesus goes up to heaven, and they're all looking, going, he's gone. You know, and is is this what he meant when he was getting ready to say he's gone? And the the angel said, in the same way you see him go, he's going to come back again. So this is how it looks like if you were the disciples. Okay? So when Jesus has come back again, this is what's going to happen. Every eye will see his return. 2,000 years ago, there was no internet, no TV. Interestingly, you know, a mechanism, a means uh, by by which we can see the return of God. When when is it going to happen, by the way? 
Now, just in case, just to let you know, if Jesus is coming back, there was a, there was a funny joke that went round on, on a little meme that people wearing on T-shirts a few years ago. It says, uh, Jesus is coming, look busy. It was based on if your boss suddenly walks in the room and you're kind of playing lab cricket or whatever it is you're, you're messing around in. And suddenly, have you noticed that, isn't it? When your boss walks in, suddenly you're the perfect worker. Well, this is built on that premise, isn't it? If Jesus is coming back, suddenly I need to be the perfect Christian. Suddenly I need to look holy. You have a holy look, by the way. Did you know that? You, you kind of think it is, but when someone's in, we go, we know this because we are children, right? Because children develop this holy look, isn't it? And we actually, they don't normally have it until they're doing something wrong. You're holy, you look more holy the more you're doing wrong. Did you know that? Oh, no. <laughs> you're just like, oh, look, look, look just more rough. You know, look, look more normal. Things like that. But it's, if Jesus is coming, suddenly let's put our house in order. Let's start to do things right. And, and there's a story in, in which Jesus tells stories, by the way, that helps us understand it. It's called the story of the bridesmaids. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 25. Because if Jesus is coming back, what do we do about that? This story helps us with what we do. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids, 25 verse 1. Who took their lamps, they went out to meet the bridegroom, and their lamps to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish, and five were wise. By the way, just on Jesus' stories, when he tells you two camps... It's all about getting you to choose and identify which camp you're in or which one you want to be. It's all about getting you into the story uh, so you can place yourself in. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. And at midnight, they were aroused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom's coming. Come, come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up, they prepared their lamps, and then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, well, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him in the marriage feast, and the door was locked. And later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside going, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. So somewhere else in the Bible, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Okay, Just so you're clear, it says the day of the Lord. It doesn't say Jesus will come like a thief in the night. So Jesus is not going to sneak in one day without you knowing. That's not what's going to happen. Is the moment of it, the day of Jesus' is coming, is going to catch those who are not looking unawares. Okay, and this, this story is about getting you ready for Jesus when he's coming back. If Jesus is coming back, and if he could come back the moment you sit down for lunch, okay, are you ready is a question. Are you ready to face God? If you don't know God, I want to tell you the straight fact that that could happen even halfway through this message, and you're saying, God, I hope he does. But it could happen right now. There is a moment when it happens. If, if we don't sort our relationship out of God, there may be a day when the door is shut and we won't have that chance. That is what the Bible teaches. Now, we, we don't like that because we like to have an inclusive message that says it doesn't matter. It could happen any time. So you've got plenty of time. Who do you think's giving you that message? The devil. Oh, I got loads of time, you know. Eat, drink, and be merry. Fill your life with good things, you know. When actually Jesus says, "No, 
get ready. So in the story, there's all sorts of characters that we can look at, you know, just to let you know, if you want to know who Jesus is in this story, he's the bridegroom. Weddings were slightly different, and I like this slight difference in Jewish culture, by the way, because what it was, the wedding would take place at the, the groom's house, and he would get everything ready. Now, there, there would be a time when they wouldn't know, so the bride, I'm sorry to change your thinking, ladies, but the bride would be waiting on the man. I like this because we like to reverse. We should reverse that a bit, you know, because, you know, so the bride is waiting for the man to get ready. Now, sometimes that might be different. I don't know what it is in the ages of equality in your house, but how many times, guys, have you been waiting for your partner to put their face on? Or silence. Do you know what that silence is? Fear. (laughs) God, can't say that, can't say that, isn't it? So if you want to have a modern day expression of this, just kind of scrub the oil and the lamps a minute and just put makeup in, in its place, isn't it? You know, To be ready, you've got your makeup on. I don't think Jesus believes in makeup. Oh, that's another story. That's another, anyway, yeah, that's, we'll get right down there. So, so, awkward. so the ten bridesmaids, by the way, just to let you know, it is the church. It's the believers. You know, the, the lamp... The Bible talks about the lamp as being the word of God. Okay, so, you know, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And so in this story, the word of God, that everybody in this passage had the word of God. The oil in the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. Okay, so in a sense, where we're going as a church, we want to be full of the word of God and the spirit of God. Except here in the story, we've got half that's just got the word. But the other half don't have the Spirit. They're not prepared with the life of God, and they go different paths. Here's the thing. They are all asleep. Fascinating. They're all asleep until there's a midnight cry. Wake up! And suddenly, just before midnight, they wake up. And that's when they realize the difference you could read the Bible, by the way, and there is some great stuff in the Bible, but if you don't understand it and have the Spirit of God and live it out in your life, you're going to miss something. Just theologically, if you want to go into the theology of this, I don't think it's about the foolish bridesmaids missing out on salvation. You can read it that way, but I don't think it is because the Bible talks about a judgment seat of Christ and talks about all our works being presented before him and being um, tested in the fire. So I think there's two things here. I think there's salvation. I think there's inheritance. And I think what this story is about to the church is saying, don't just be concerned about your salvation, be concerned about your inheritance. Your inheritance is faith, you know, the works of your faith. You don't receive salvation by your works, by the way. Nothing you can do gets salvation. Why? Because Christ has earned it all. But there is a lot you can do in faith. There is a real danger if you live by, well, I don't need to do any works because my salvation is in God, by the way. That's lazy Christianity and that doesn't require any faith because it goes, well, Jesus has done it all, so I don't need to do anything at all. That is not the message of the Bible. There's an inheritance journey. There's a journey when God says, I want you to get up. I want you to live for Jesus and I, I want you to kind of work out your faith. So the question is, you might be in church, but do you have faith? You might believe in Jesus has paid and died on the cross, but do you have faith? Do you go out of that and do you live it? This is the story of the two. So when the call comes, 
Even if you're asleep as a church, if you have faith, you're ready to go. But there's a third person in this story that we miss. And I want to throw this out because this might relate to some individuals here. So there's one story of the foolish who's just got the word or the lamp. There's the other one who's got the word and the spirit and go, that's okay. Both are asleep. But there's a midnight crier. There's somebody in this story who's watching out for the bridegroom to come. There is somebody who's ready for Jesus' return. Can I just say, in modern day, when times get... We, we, in theory, we must be getting more closer and closer to the Lord's return than when he announced that 2,000 years ago. That's just a logical thing. You don't have to be too brainy to get to that assumption. So we're closer than we were 2,000 years ago. But what if God is speaking to his church and to raise up people who say, I'm going to be a midnight crier, which means my role, my call in society is to look for Jesus and to shout it out. Because I think when I look at the Christian church, a lot of it is asleep. And there's a time when I think Jesus wants to come up in the midnight criers and he wants to put the defibrillator on some of us here just to bring us back to life to say, wake up, that actually we are awake and we're looking for Jesus. We are prepared for Jesus to come. We don't just suddenly have to go, oh, Jesus is coming, look busy. You can just pretend that we're working. This is the whole thing. If you want to read Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, there's four stories that all talk about get ready, faithful servant. The power of the talents is about a man who goes away. Jesus is going away, leaves talents to the churches. And actually, we, we give the guy who buries it a really hard time. That's a sleepy church. You, but we don't look at the hard time we should give ourselves if we are asleep as a church, if we are just rather than sleeping than praying. You understand? Praying, reading the Bible, being full of the Holy Spirit, and being a mouthpiece and saying, you know what, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's alive. I believe he's coming again. And I'd love to hear that in the church, that not just in a service, but we're going around that Jesus is alive. I love the fact that we've got a small team out on a Saturday morning who are professing, you know what, Jesus is alive. That's why we're praying for people. We're not saying, can we just get a dead guy and just kind of talk about him? You know, we're actually saying we want to bring the living Jesus into this, you know, because one day he's coming again. The challenge in order to face uncertain times is to get a lamp, which means get into the Word of God. All right? It'll help you. You need to get some oil, which basically means to say to God, fill me with your spirit. And my divine purpose, I will know that if your spirit is in me. The third thing we need to do if we're in certain times is to wake up. To understand in your uncertainty, you have a plan and purpose. Don't be drowsy. Don't be asleep during this season. In fact, this circumstance that's uncertain for you is waking you up. Let me tell you about uncertainty. It's a chapter in your life that is yet to have a title. That's where you're on right now. So God puts you through a chapter. He gives you a title afterwards. When you're writing it in your life, he is writing an incredible chapter uh, of what you're in that is so great that in a time of uncertainty, you knew God had a plan through that. Look for Jesus in your place of uncertainty. Where are you in this place? Where are you in this waiting room right now? Lynette. I can tell you a real incredible story. As when I was hooked up to the machine, 
you know, receiving chemotherapy drugs, sat there. I, I'm there, I'm chatting to a lot of people, and as my eye looks up, somebody walks into the room absolutely bewildered and looking like they're bur- burst into tears. It's Lynette's dad. Three minutes before, he'd just been told that his wife has cancer. That journey is walked through, and she's gone into eternity in that process. I, I, in, in, in what I was doing, I stood up. I took hold of my, my, my drugs on my bag, which was on a stand. I wandered across. I wheeled it off, making sure I wasn't tripping over my wires. And I said, are you okay? Do you want to just spend some time? Now, here's the thing. That's a divine timing and plan of appointment. You know what? God, even in rooms like that of life, puts you there because your situation speaks to somebody else's story. He came over me at the funeral, which, which we shared. We have a connection because of that moment. You know what our connection is? It's Jesus. He loves Jesus. Jesus loves him. Jesus loves me. And you know what Jesus does is you guys just need to get together for this moment of your life. Your times of uncertainty can be times of certainty to others. We don't realize if we put Jesus in the room what he's able to do. I want to finish with this, so if I can pull the band up. Somewhere I have to land if Jesus is our future. A cold winter's day fits the story, by the way. I wrote this before it snowed, so I quite like kind of... An old man walks out to the frozen lake. He cuts a hole in the ice, and he drops in his fishing line. He was there for almost an hour, and without even a nibble, a young boy walks onto the ice. He cuts a hole in the ice not far from him, The young boy drops his fishing line in, and minutes later, he hooks a huge fish. Well, the old man can't believe his eyes. They chalked it up to just plain luck, and shortly after, the young boy pulls out another huge fish. Well, the young boy kept catching fish after fish, and finally, the old man couldn't take it any longer. Son, I've been here forever now without even a nibble, and you've been here for a few minutes, and you've caught half a dozen fish. How do you do it? The boy responded, Ruraf, Rureep, Rurums. Pardon? What was that? The old man, again, the boy asked, Ruraf, Rureep, Rumvram. He said, Well, I can't understand a word you're saying. The boy spit the contents of his mouth into his hands and said, You have to keep the worms warm. (laughs) I, I think I'm talking to two people this morning. I think I'm talking to Christians. And I'm talking to people who are yet to become Christians. To Christians first, Jesus wants to warm you up. Those worms are better to catch fish if they're wiggling and they are active and they are alive. The parable of the bridesmaids is church, wake up. And I'm telling you right now, not to challenge you to have a go at you, but I'm speaking to your spirit as a Christian. Wake up and get into God's presence and be active for him. It is how you are designed to be. I am calling out of you right now as I'm speaking, your design, right? Because you are frustrated when you're still. You are frustrated when you're not moving. You're frustrated when nothing happens. And God says, because I want you to be active. When you're active, you're not a venture for God. Who wants a dull faith? Who wants a dull, inactive Christianity? None of us. And all it takes this morning is for you to say to God, God, I've got your Bible. I believe in your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm going to be a person who's active for you. If that is you, I want you to just hold a yes inside.
because I want to put that on pause because I want to speak to those who's not a Christian. If you've come in and you're not a Christian, you're trying to make sense of where you fit with God, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. The whole purpose of why Jesus came was you. Why he hung on the cross was you. Your sin, everything about you that takes away your personality, takes away your destiny and your design, that robs you on who you're called to be. Jesus said, I'm going to come and die for you to restore that back. And you know uncertainty, whether it's sickness, the way you perceive yourself, whether it's broken relationships, whether it's rejection, all of those things, right? Jesus said, I'm going to take that, I'm going to nail it to the cross. There is power in the name of Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, you're saying, God, would you come into my life? Because I want your power in my life. I can't do it on my own. I'm struggling. Would you come in right now? Everybody close your eyes. Here's a chance to do that. So if you're not a Christian or perhaps you have been, but you've wandered away and you want to say yes to Jesus again, you just say it right now. Let your spirit talk. Say, yes, Jesus say a prayer similar to please forgive me all my faults and failings I give to you I believe you nailed them to the cross I'm sorry there's a gap between my relationship and you and right now I'm closing that gap and opening my heart to you come into my life fill me with your love fill me with your freedom fill me with your spirit that I might know that eternal hope that one day you are going to come back to take me to be with yourself. Keep every eye closed, every head bowed because there's an opportunity. If you said that prayer, all I want you to do is just put your hand up as a confession of that faith of that prayer and say, I said that. Is there anybody? Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Come on, there's faith in you. Don't be uh, embarrassed. It's not about everybody else watching. This is just about you before you and God. Anybody else? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you right now if you put your hand up because you need to know this, that God is a living God. He's alive. He's in heaven. He's interceding for you now. That you might receive the energy, the spirit of God. You might receive an anticipation and a new joy. as I like to ask, go back to Christians you want to be a wiggly worm you want to catch some fish you want to be an active Christian I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet that's just a simple statement of faith you know you're just a bit more bold and confident faith. that speaks to anybody come on I want to be active God I want to be ready for the second coming I don't want to just look busy last minute <laughs> come on just close your eyes and just put your hands out for Jesus. Jesus is your energy. If there's healing that is taking place in you, you know, if there's a new vision that's arising, just let God do what he's going to do. And we're going to sing a song in just a few moments. And during that song, I want you to be really open to God. And as the song starts, everybody stand together. We'll all worship. Our prayer is, God, we look forward to your return. We're not hanging on by the skin of our teeth, but we're going to be busy about our Father's business. You know what? There are so many people in your workplace, in your home, on your street, who are just longing to be released by the power of the name of Jesus, and you are being called by God to go and catch some fish.
not going to be easy, like Mike said. It's going to be a bit challenging at times. But it will ignite your faith. 